Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to 32 Fans Movies, where we discuss all things movies, past, present, and occasionally future. My name is Sammy Chester. And I'm Av Sinensky. Today we're going to be talking about racing movies, including horse racing, car racing, and foot racing. Will we cover dog sledding and other forms of racing? There's going to be a lot of foot racing. We've been doing a different movie sport every month for the last six months. We did racing this month for a number of reasons. Some of them are that we had some great foot races, some great marathons. The New York City Marathon was at the beginning of November. Athens took place a bit later. And then also the movie Ford vs. Ferrari came out a few weeks ago. Our past winners. So from soccer, we had Damn United. Hockey was Slapshot. Golf was Caddyshack. Tennis was Borg vs. McEnroe. Basketball was Love and Basketball. Football was Brian Song. And baseball was Major League. So those are some of the big contenders. Let's see what comes out from uh, our running-dominated racing bracket to help us dive into running we have a very special guest today his name is bart yasso bart is an icon for long distance runners which i like to count myself as one of them he's a member of the running usa hall of champions both for his incredibly accomplished running career and for his even more accomplished legacy promoting the sport i think anyone who gets into running and most people who get into running get deeply into running know his name and admire all that he has given to the sport and continues to do so bart thanks so much for being here yeah i'm here Hey, how you doing? Doing all right. How have running movies been part of your journey as a runner, if at all? You know, whenever a running movie comes out, like when Spirit of the Marathon came out and McFarlane, I remember, and uh, the Barkley documentary, just to name a few, there's always been parties at my house. I do this fake red carpet. I get a, uh, a yoga mat that I have that's red, and that's the red carpet I throw out. We have a big party in my yard, and then, uh, you know, some of them were in big cinemas and there's uh, a big movie complex only a mile from my home. So we'd have a big party at my house and then stroll over a mile to the, to the movie. Sometimes we ran over to the movie and then back to my house for a uh, post movie, you know, celebration and talk about it. So it's been a lot of fun. Some of these running movies, they, they hit mainstream, which is what I love because some people look at running like it's drudgery and we're miserable when we're out there. Cause we, sort of have a pained look on our face a lot of times when we're out there, but we're actually enjoying it. I remember the Nolan Batman trilogy. When I saw the first one, 
I couldn't watch it without running afterwards. There's certain movies that oh. just push me in the same way that running does and inspires me to say, you know, if that character is doing something heroic or whatnot on screen, I want to push myself <laughs> in the way that I know, which yeah. is often running. Um, right. do, do, do running movies do that in particular, or you think, or maybe other movies even do it a little bit better? No, I think other movies do a little bit better. It's just that when a running movie comes out, it's such a rarity. There's not a whole lot of movies just based on running, or running plays such a vital role in in the movie. So I think when they come out, you know, it's so rare that we have these big celebrations, and uh, you know, we make sure gather the run, running community, and we all go to the movie, which is kind of fun. We've spoken about this with a number of the sports movies, Av and myself. There are so many high drama, real life sports stories that often the documentaries or the movies based on real life are more than anything you can capture in a completely fictional. I think that's particularly true in running. All the horse movies are based on actual horses, I guess, except Black Beauty. Most of the car movies are the same. When I think of movies like Spirit of the Marathon, you know, I always thought the hardest part, there's so many inspirational running stories. How do they pick out the best stories? It has to be really hard. A quote of mine that I see on the internet all the time, I wrote this book called Race Everything, which is based on racing every kind of distance. And I, I was so fortunate to run all over the world and run all kinds of distances. But I always said, when the gun goes off, all the runners follow the same path to the finish line. But each runner has taken a unique path to the starting line. And that's what makes the sport so special. And that's what you know a lot of these movies uh, – you know, tell, tell these great stories. Louis Zamperini was not really a running movie, but he was yeah. a runner. The Angelina role, Jolie the role movie. Running play, yes, the role that running played in his life is what made his story. I liked the running in the beginning of the movie, but the rest of it really disappointed me. One of the things we've always looked at is, is, is there a unique DNA to this sports movies? Uh, you know, for instance, basketball movies have a very obviously kind of African-American urban city feel to them. And I think we said of like baseball movies have the spirit of Americana more than any other sport kind of wrapped into the telling of the movie. Mm -hmm. Is there something that defines a racing movie? Well, obviously there's always this focus on speed since that's central to what racing is. Most of these are not team sports. So like you really spend a lot of time in the individual headspace of, of the athlete rather than like the team concept being the core message of the movie. I think mm -hmm. death as sort of, as negative as it sounds, I think death is sort of the theme. I saw a lot of horse movies for this bracket. I saw a lot of car movies. And I can tell you, in most of the horse movies, the horse dies at some point in the movie, either in the right. big final race or right afterwards. In every single car movie, someone dies. And, you know, racing cars for the last 80 years has been very dangerous, much more dangerous than in the last decade. But hell, isn't that what we're in this for? To stare death in the face and, and to cheat it? Come on, there's nobility in that. It's... It's like being knights. <laughs> you English, you're such assholes. You know my position. 20% risk. No, 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 Nicky, don't, don't bring the percentages into this. Don't be a pro. The minute you do that, you kill what's good about this. You kill the sport. And actually, the marathon, marathon was sort of born, and, you know, Bart, maybe you can tell, like, the listeners, those who don't know, the, the legacy of the marathon was born with, with death. And for many years, running right. a marathon was considered something where you were yeah. yeah, where you're putting your life on the line, uh, particularly for female runners. 
And a number of the running movies, there's this, whether the person is in prison or whatnot, there's a concern of death or, you know, Prefontaine in many ways, you know, that's kind of part of right. the, the danger of death hanging over these. I mean, there, that wasn't in any other sport, I think, so far. I, I don't feel I put my life on the line as a runner. So I'm not quite sure why that's no. part of the Yeah, I don't on. either. When I, when I go out and run, I come, I come to life. I don't feel like I'm putting my life. Though I think non-runners do to this day see the marathon as something like, you know, why would you... Why would you, so to speak, put your life on the line? Um, and, you know, it's part of maybe their admiration. So I think it still is in the consciousness, and maybe that's why it's in the movies. So we have a supersized movie bracket that Bart, Av, and myself are going to take apart. Will, our other co-host, might join us later to tackle some others. But sure. Bart is really going to take the lead on the running movies. Av will then kind of sweep up the ones at the end. The movies we seeded in this bracket based upon the average ranking of all online rankings of movies. And that's what allowed us to rank the eight running movies that Bart is going to help me tackle. Now, Bart, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out to you who is facing each other in this bracket, and yep. you give me your sense of which one you think should move on, and eventually we'll get to a champion. So let's start it off with the number one seed going up against the number eight seed. Number one is Chariots of Fire. came out in 1981. It's the story yep. of British runners racing for gold at the 1924 Olympics. One runs for faith. The other run runs to leave prejudice behind. It's going up against number eight, Jericho Mile, which came out in 1979, wow. around the same time. And that's about a prisoner who's getting a chance to take part in the Olympics, or so he thinks, as a miler. Man, I am into nothing. That's how I do my time. Yeah, right. Well, I need things, mister. You see, that's our difference, Mr. Murphy. You don't need nobody. You run until you can't walk. Then you zone out like a glue sniffer till you can't talk. And then maybe you tired enough to get some sleep until the next day when you gotta go through the whole thing again. Now, Mr. Murphy, you don't need nobody. Yeah, no way, no how. See, you don't have to do no kind of desperate stuff. You got to be the luckiest man alive. Oh, and I should, of course, say Jericho Meyer was directed by Michael Mann, probably the most prominent director of any of the movies that we're going to discuss. Sorry, It's a Fire was just a classic. I mean, it told such a great story. And uh, it really didn't concentrate on just their running. It really concentrated on what running meant to them and how they could use the sport. Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose. He also made me fast. And when I run... One running for God, take his religious beliefs to another level and to honor God. And then you have a Jewish runner that was a Christian runner, and then the Jewish runner who just felt prejudiced everywhere he went. So he wanted to express that he was going to overcome the prejudice, and running was the sport he thought that he could do that. Contentment. I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. Now, in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor, four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. I mean, I yeah, think I think classic movie. When the Olympics were in London a few years ago, Chariots of Fire was this dominant theme. The music in Chariots yeah, of Fire. Yeah, I'm jealous. Hear that every run I've ever done, you hear that background music. Somebody has it playing somewhere along the course. Anything nice you can say about Jericho Mile? I know I've seen Chariots of Fire like six or seven times, and I only saw the Jericho Mile once. 
not that it was a, a bad movie. It just didn't resonate with me that I said, oh, I got to see that again. I thought Jericho Mile was sort of the longest yard of running movies. What I thought was really fun about the Jericho Mile was that Michael Mann filmed it in a real prison in California. And most in of Folsom. the people, and most of yeah, the people the there prison. are inmates. The white supremacist gangs and the Mexican gangs and the African-American gangs, those are many of them are real gang members. And Michael Mann basically had to negotiate a temporary truce so that there wouldn't be full-on gang violence while he filmed the movie. Wow. I used to run on a trail, and when we got to the high point of this trail, you could see the Folsom Prison. And God, it was just a classic, classic uh, prison to use in a movie. The word penitentiary comes to mind right away when you see this building. You hear not, You know what it is the minute you look at it. Let's look at our next matchup. It's our number four versus number five, Fire on the Track, the documentary about the legendary American middle distance runner, Steve Prefontaine, against number five, Mick Farland. Uh, Mick Farland is also a legend because it has every single sports movie trope known to life. It has Kevin Costner. It has Disney. Bart mentioned at the top, there were two movies made in the 90s with Steve Prefontaine. This is the documentary, yeah. which is not those two. I think Prefontaine what? is so dramatic. I like the documentary the most. And that's why it's in his brain. Yes, I like the documentary the most myself, just because it really tells a story. He held all seven American records from two to 10,000 meters. At 21, he challenged the world in one of the greatest Olympic races of all time, and later turned down a fortune for a shot at the world record. The story goes that he told the race promoter to keep it. I run best when I run free. Pre never made it to that race. It's so interesting that a guy like Prefontaine became so much more famous years after he passed than when he was alive and, and running. I think Nike played a role in that to really use his image and his just competitive spirit. The guy was just amazing. When I go to races, I go to any high school cross-country race or any big track meet or high school kids. There's so many kids wearing Prefontaine stuff. It amazes me. God passed away years and years ago. So it's amazing to me how, how his image, his likeness, and most important, his spirit still resonates with a lot of people, a lot of runners. Bart, you began running, it was around the time of Prefontaine, No. I got serious in running in 78. I was kind of messing around with it in 77, but I'd say 78. I think Prefontaine oh. passed away in 74, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. But I but I remember reading about him in Sports Illustrated. For people who don't know, the legend of Prefontaine <laughs> is that he was this incredible middle-distance runner who died at a very young age. And I think it was yeah. his accomplishments on the track and that it was his death. And then as Bart was saying, it was the passion and sort of the, and then it was his connection to Nike because one of his coaches went yeah. on to be the co-founder of Nike. That also helped, of course. He went to the Olympics as a very young man and got, was in the lead, but then got beat. But then, you know, everyone was waiting four years later. He was going to be in the prime of his life and he would come away with the gold medal. But unfortunately, he was killed before he uh, made it back to the Olympics. What is often said about him is that he was one of the central inspirations for the modern-day running boom, which began in the late 70s. Is that true? The movie doesn't quite do that justice. Definitely one, for sure. I mean, Frank Shorter was another one, and Frank Newpree. He was such a renegade. He just wanted to to go against the system because the system wasn't meant... It wasn't set up to help runners have a good living and to do well. They couldn't make any money, so he was the one that was really 
going against the establishment, and he was just an amazing runner. Any, you know, I never raced against him, obviously, but I know a lot of people that did, uh, friends of mine, and they just said he was the most fierce competitor they've ever encountered. A name who has to be mentioned in a podcast about running in movies is probably Tom Cruise. And apparently Prefontaine is one of Tom Cruise's biggest heroes. And Cruise really wanted to star in the movies that came out about Prefontaine in the late 90s. And he was simply just way too ah. old. Cruise is the producer on Prefontaine, the, the dramatic movie. Okay. If you see Tom Cruise running in a movie, you can know that there is a connection to Prefontaine, gotcha. uh, however it is. Can the power of Nike and love. Prefontaine crush the power yeah. of Disney and Kevin Costner. We have two heavyweights going into it. <laughs> Farland, such a classic, beautiful feel-good story, how a community that uh, was mostly suppressed and did not have a lot of things going their way could come and be fastest kids in the state and based on a true story. They don't get up at dawn like you and go to work in the fields, right? They don't go to school all day and then go back to those same fields. That's what you do. And then you come out with me and you run eight miles there's nothing you can't do with that kind of strength. You go run your race. So you're going to give McFarland the win over the documentary? I am. I'm going to go with McFarland. It made the community proud, and it touched everyone in that community. And that's what I think is, uh, is why I would pick McFarland over the Prefontaine documentary. I mean, I get inspired by Prefontaine. You know, if I could be an elite athlete, if I could go on to the Olympics and that kind of stuff. But McFarland just made me feel good about a, a generation and a community. Let's jump right then into the next round because Chariots of Fire is going to go up against McFarland. Chariots of Fire was just a classic story. I don't know how you could come out with a better running movie. Let's jump then to the bottom of the running bracket. So the number two yep. is The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, which came out yeah. in 1962. It's a coming-of-age right. movie about class consciousness in 50s Britain. Running's always been a big thing in our family, especially running away from the police. It's hard to understand. All I know is that you've got to run. Run without knowing why through fields and woods. And the winning post's no end, even though balmy crowds might be cheering the Sen's daft. That's what the loneliness of the long-distance runner feels like. And it's going up against the number seven on the edge, which came out 20 years later in 1986. And that movie stars Bruce Dern, and it's about a former long-distance runner. I think he's supposed to be in his late 40s in the movie, right. who was banned 20 yep. years back for exposing corruption and decides to re-enter competition in a punishing hill race. I'm not quite sure. Is it the race he enters is supposed to be uh, ultramarathon distance? I wasn't quite sure. No, um, I think it's just a tough trail run. It's called the Dipsy, and now they do yeah. it. Some of the races do it four times, so they kind of turned it into an ultramarathon, but it was originally about the Dipsy, which has been run well over 100 years. You've run the Dipsy, right? I've run the Dipsy course, but I've never run the Dipsy race. It's like impossible to gain entry into. Both these movies have someone fighting against the system and a very disgruntled protagonist, a very angry protagonist, I think. Even though one is in his 40s and 50s and the other one is a teenager. Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner is based yeah. upon a book of the same name. And I'm curious, we didn't really touch on this earlier, have you also read a lot about running? Do you also sort of someone oh, yeah. who novels or poetry or other literature 
do you also consume that as much as you consume the movies? And if so, oh, yeah. is the book or the movie better for Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner? You know, when I started distance running in the late 70s, that's what everyone, that's all we were called, Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, because there weren't a lot of us out there back then, not like today. I don't remember much about uh, Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner as a movie. I did see it one time. I wasn't like completely moved by it. I said, I've got to see this again. Loneliness yeah. of the Long Distance Runner, more than any movie except Chariots of Fire for me, captured the joy of running. It does it ah. really well. When the boy is running and he's let out of the jail to run. Smith, off you go. The usual run. You've done it many times under supervision, and this time you're going to do it alone. Off you go. ecstatic jazz music that starts up and there's a smile on his face. If you're a running movie and you don't capture the sort of, as you said earlier, the, the life that running gives you, kind of right. rush of excitement. But uh, how about On the Edge? I didn't have a chance to see that. It's impossible to edge, find well, On the Edge. I actually met Bruce Dern and he was a pretty crazy runner before this movie. I mean, he did this ultra stuff, not so much in races, just on his own. He would run these, you know, long runs and I didn't know that and then uh, when the movie came out, I was like, okay, this guy, I'm liking this guy a lot. But I liked On the Edge. The race itself, the Dipsy, is just such a iconic thing in running because it's been around for over 100 years. On the Edge was the one for me. And I thought Bruce Dern was awesome. In that he, he had that classic runner's look, a gnarly kind of guy. And uh, uh, I know Bruce Dern was in one of your favorite movies of this year so far. Is that fair to say? Uh, that's very fair to say. Would you say, inspired by Bruce Stern's role in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that you'll go back and see his other classics? Probably not seen much. How does one see On the Edge? Bart, do you have any ideas? Because both Av and I looked high and low and we couldn't find the movie. I tried to chase down Bruce Stern on Twitter. It didn't really go anywhere, unfortunately. Let's see who's going to play On the Edge in the next round of the bracket because we have two documentaries going up against each other. Number three, The Barkley Marathon versus number six, Spirit of the Marathon. We've mentioned gotcha. Spirit of the Marathon already. It came out in 2007. Yep. It's a documentary about runners of all levels competing at the 2006 Chicago Marathon. And it's going up against the Barkley Marathon. It's a documentary about elite runners from around the world testing the limits of their physical and I would say probably mainly mental endurance in what some yeah. say is the world's hardest race. Bart, can you describe to listeners who have no idea what the Barkley Marathon is? Because it's, it's really a mouthful. Like it's really just set up to be impossible to finish, let alone, you know, uh, try to accomplish this thing. I mean, it really is just this brutal, brutal course. It's about everybody. The race and goes on need... for what, two or three days? If you're going to face a real challenge, it has to be a real challenge. You can't accomplish anything without the possibility of failure. Pretty much everybody you see go out there. You really want them to succeed. You know that most of them won't. And there is kind of a, maybe a dark humor <laughs> to all the things that go on. Some of the failures are spectacular and really funny. People just tune into the Barclay because it's just such a unique, quirky kind of feel to it. You know, the race director himself, Lazarus, and just the whole, the whole way it comes about. Have <laughs> you been like down no there? Other event. I've never been down there. I, I would have certainly yeah. competed it in my younger days, but, uh, when it came along, I was not, not fit enough to challenge this course. But 
I think the documentary is mainly special because it's just such an incredible event. You yeah. have to know you're in a, just a world of hurt nonstop. And, and it's never going to get easier. Got to do these laps. The first lap they call the fun run, which just about kills everybody. And then you got to go out and do it again. It's just, it's just amazing. It's so unique. And I'm just amazed at how many people tune into it on the internet, how viral it gets, what a big deal it is. What I actually like about Spirit of the Marathon a lot, some of the characters have, in I guess in their own personal, intimate way, it's a very powerful story, but conventionally it's a little bit ho-hum, but it's very typical. Like the guy who doesn't even manage to make it to the starting line, who's all sort of rah-rah to make it to Boston, and then he, right. he has like a hamstring or a knee injury, and uh, he has to sort of step aside and just support others. The conventionality, if you can call that a Spirit of the Marathon, to mm-hmm. me, is sort of its honesty is sort of my favorite part. You know, as much as I love the spirit, I, Barkley, you know, there's just nothing like it. The uniqueness of it and the quirkiness of it and uh, the way it just grabs people. And people just tune in to see if somebody can finish. Yeah. Like that's still that's alive. so unusual in racing. Like in a race, somebody finishes and wins. Like the car race, a horse race, the Barkley's are... Sometimes no one finishes, and I'm, I've never experienced anything like it in running. I, I would pick the Barkley for sure. People who don't, particularly marathons, who don't understand, don't realize that it's the finishing of the marathon, which is usually the triumph. You know, it's not the speed per se. It's not your, your place. And in Barclays, it sort of takes that to an extreme, where to finish right. is actually an extreme accomplishment that yes. very few people do. I mean, I think normally what? Just like the winner, basically, is the only one who finishes the race, maybe one other person. Yeah, so, maybe. Uh, yeah. There's been very few finishes over all the years. And yeah. that's, you know, that's it. You would think, okay, why am I going to tune into this race that no one's even going to finish? And you cannot not tune into it. That's How does On the Edge, which is going to go up against the Barkley Marathon, I think it's a good matchup because if anyone is capable of taking on Barkley, it would have to be Bruce Dern. You know, as much as I like Bruce Dern and I really felt he fit that role and had that good old gnarly look of a runner back in the day, the race director of Barkley is an image that you can never forget. <laughs> Lazarus is just like... Bruce Stern is maybe the second best runner then in the running movies. Maybe Lazarus should, uh, <laughs> yeah. should get the crown. Yeah. Chariots of Fire versus Barkley for what we will say is our number one running movie. Chariots of Fire came in ranked number one. It's considered a classic. It probably has the most famous song in any sports movie, arguably the most famous song in any movie. I don't know Av, if you would uh, disagree. Yeah. Um, theme song, I guess. I'll go with Star uh, Wars. Yeah, maybe. We can discuss that afterwards. Chariots of Fire, by the way, is a line in the British song Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is sort of the th- main theme song in Loneliness the Long Distance Runner, the movie that got dismissed oh, somewhere else before. Yeah. But be that as it may, it's Chariots against Barkley. It's Lazarus against, I guess you could say, a different sort of Lazarus uh, on a spiritual yeah. plane in Chariots of Fire. Who's your winner for 32 oh, Friends? Yeah, one can, movie? Between Barkley and Chariots of Fire, I would, I would pick Chariots of Fire. Well, if you can't take a beating, perhaps it's for the best. I don't run to take beatings. I run to win. If I can't win, I won't run. If you don't run, you can't win. What I love about the Barkley is the quirkiness and the fun of it all and the, the torture and living vicariously through the movie. But Terry's of Fires, I would pick because it tells the story so well. It's captivating. Prejudice is like the worst thing that can happen to people. And so to use running to overcome that, to beat prejudice, and then to honor your faith 
is is pretty cool. And to be loyal to your faith, to not race on a Sunday because of your faith tells you not to, and you honor that. There's a romantic beauty between a brother and sister that I can only really compare to an American tale, the cartoon movie about the mouse coming to America, and and where the him and his sister mouse also have this sort of beautiful friendship. Chariots of Fire is a movie that so many different people can get really into. Obviously runners, people yeah. into period pieces, people into the national politic, people into how religion challenges your decisions in life. Also just some people who like good movies. Uh, I don't know how many of those you can sign off for. Not many. Um, not many, <laughs> very few of those I'll, I'll <laughs> sign off for. A number of years ago, I put together a source sheet, which I've taught at a few different meetups over the years for mainly, mm-hmm. I guess, runners called The Spirituality of Running. What I tried to do was connect running high and how different faith traditions have connected to running, whether it's Buddhism or Shintoism yeah. or Judaism or Christianity. I sort of tapped into pilgrims and people going to Mecca, which are sort of like, you know, marathons in their own way. I often come back to Eric Little. I often come back to Chariots of Fire. And how he describes he's a deeply believing Christian, and yet, you know, God also made him a runner. I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. A lot of traditions have grappled with that in their own way. Have you run the Jerusalem Marathon? I have run the Jerusalem Marathon, yeah. First year they did it. I was amazed how hilly the Jerusalem Marathon was. I mean, it was 2011 is when I did it. It just seemed like they said, okay, here's the toughest hill in Jerusalem. We'll run up that one. And then over here is the second toughest hill in Jerusalem. We'll run up that one. And then (laughs) uh, here's the third toughest hill in Jerusalem. We'll go up that one too. It's like love challenging race. I was amazed at how hard it was. It was run on a Friday morning to beat the Shabbat Friday afternoon. It's a pretty cool race. I'm based in Israel. I'm American originally, but I'm based these days in Israel. So I had a chance to run the Jerusalem Marathon a few times. And I got to know, by virtue of the Jerusalem Marathon, Ryan and Sarah Hall, the great American mm-hmm. couple. Oh, yeah. I'm helping a friend who is working with Ryan and Sarah, and they're leading a delegation of mainly American runners to come and run the Jerusalem Marathon. I think they'll probably do the half marathon because it's so difficult this year, this spring. Anyone who is curious, you know, you can hit us up at our podcast and we can share more information. I think Bart yeah. can agree that you can read about running and you can watch movies about running and you can listen to music about it, but ultimately you just got to go out there and on an early morning and try it out yourself. Yeah, you got to give it a go sometimes. Even Chariots of Fire. The Jerusalem yeah. Marathon is an amazing, there's an amazing race. I was just so impressed on what they did and really showcased the city and we were able to run on streets, which I never thought they'd be able to close. It was, it was amazing. I do remind people how hard the course is because I don't want someone to go. Make sure to let Ryan and Sarah know. Uh, Sarah probably can tell yeah, yeah. but uh, I'm concerned about Ryan. You know, he's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's a few years. I will, they're, uh, they're very personal friends of mine. I will, I will reach out to him. And I know, I, I remember Ryan going to the Dead Sea and he thought he was so skinny back then in his marathon days. He thought he would, sink at the Dead Sea, and even even Ryan floated in the Dead Sea. You agree with me what I said at the beginning, that there's sort of the specter of, you know, putting your life on the line? I think of car racing and, and other sports, movies on, you know, basketball and baseball and football. It's, it's always the elites of the elites best that ever played the sport, ever played the game, ever participated. Find and running movies where it is more inspirational because they don't 
always pick the best of the best. People that just want to change their life or make a big change to just get to that finish line. And that's the ultimate goal. Not, not to be the best runner in the world and not be the best runner in the race, but just to overcome. It's really their race. Just to overcome all the obstacles, get to that finish line. And that's what I find so inspiring about these runners. Bart, thanks so much. Two quick questions. In March, a 64 movie bracket where we've taken the best of every particular sport and we're going to throw them all in there. So Chariots wow. of Fire is going to be in there. And uh, I guess Barkley Marathon will probably be in there as well as a runner up here. Would you say just Chariots of Fire, would you, it has a chance to finish a number one sports movie of all time to be in the top five? Yeah, I don't know if it could be number one, but I certainly think it could be in the top five. It's a subject that'll resonate forever. Last question. What's your favorite yeah. non-running movie you've seen in 2019? Ooh, God. 2019 favorite? No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. There's no movies recently that really jump out at me. My favorite has always been Rocky. The original Rocky I go to Philly quite often, and I will I will never go to Philly without running those steps and just thinking of that movie. I gotta be honest, the, the movies lately just don't move me like older movies do. So I really tend to, uh, you know, you mentioned Caddyshack and golf. I could watch Caddyshack, you know, once a week, and I would still get a kick out of it. Yeah. Uh, there's just something about it. I'm and I golf, and I just get a kick out of it. And I was a caddy in my younger days, which may have a play a role in it. And but and maybe because I live near Philly and I went to Philly as a kid all the time, Rocky plays that role. But it just I don't know that storyline and the way they tied in Philadelphia celebration of America. I just we're gonna hit a lot more on Rocky. I think we're doing boxing movies next month. I'll let you know by email or Twitter if uh, Rocky, yeah. which is probably a pretty big favorite, though it does have Raging Bull and a few others in its way. Bart, thank you so, so much. Where can oh, thank you, listeners, can they follow you? What are you working on now? Can I did follow- retire from Runner's World after 31 years, but I still am active in the running community. I still going to events, you know, and I stay active on social media. All my social media is easy to follow because it's just Bart Yasso. We are going to say goodbye to Bart and touch on a few other uh, racing movies, horses and cars. Bart, I promise I'll follow up with you soon in the next week and let you Uh, know if, heaven forbid, a non-foot race movie won the racing (laughs) bracket overall. All right, uh, let me know. I think think you've put a pretty good defense as to why a man and his own two legs should be considered as the number one. Thanks, Bart. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye. No more running. I'm not running. And it's over. We're turning now, Av Sinensky, who's going to guide us on the corner bracket where we have, what is it, four and a half movies. Number one is going to be Ford versus Ferrari. Play-in is The Fast and the Furious and Talladega Nights. And then the other bracket is going to be Britney Runs a Marathon, the 2019 movie about running. And that's going up against the number three, which is Farlap. Farlap is about a legendary racehorse in the 1930s. That was sort of the sea biscuit for Australia. Let's start with that play in of. These are two classics for many people. Some people said these should be competing for the finals of Best Racing Movie. Fast and the Furious, the original, against Talladega Nights. Who's your favorite and why? And was this your first time seeing these movies? This was my second time seeing Talladega Nights. I saw it when it came out in theaters. I recall thinking it was okay with some decent laughs, but like not that good. Definitely a step down from Anchorman, which had come right before it, previous Will Ferrell installment. In rewatching it, I was amazed at how unfunny I thought it was. None of the jokes really landed for me with the exception of one or two. The movie has a tendency to take these like one note jokes and just like run them into the ground. 
I will let you go, Ricky. But first, I want you to say... I love crepes. Don't you say it, Ricky. These colors don't run. I'm not gonna say it. Good. Just to put this in there, yeah. I had a whole mess of crepes this morning. They're just like pancakes, maybe even better. Wait, are they the really thin pancakes? Yeah. Yes, they are. They are the really thin pancakes. It's just a French word for them. Oh, my God, what are those? Look at the syrups you want on them and stuff. I'm just saying, think about it. They come with cheese sometimes? Oh, yes, yeah, of cheese? course, and fromage crepe. Well, why didn't someone yell at it right, right away? Do you know what's in the crepe Suzette? Oh, I love the crepe Suzette. With the sugar and yeah, the, the sugar lemon juice. Yeah, the lemon juice, sure. Oh, my yeah. I, I wish I could crawl into one of those right now. Uh, <laughs> right, my way it. out from the inside. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tasty. Oh, Matt, you know, either way this goes down, can we go get some after we're done? Absolutely, we're going to do that. Bon, so what if you just said, I love a really thin pancakes? That is a fair compromise, no? That is a fair compromise. That's very fair. Okay. No. Very lazy joke telling. The one line that I recall that I really laughed at is when burning from invisible fire because he thinks he's on fire and he starts crying out to God and he, he starts listing off God. You need Tom Cruise in a racing-related movie. <laughs> well, for sure, yeah. I really thought this movie was pretty brutal to watch now. What is Amy Adams doing in the movie? Not I think much. she has the best line before they start making out for no reason. And here you sit, thinking. Well, Ricky Bobby is not a thinker. Ricky Bobby is a driver. He is a doer. And that's what you need to do. You don't need to think. You need to drive. You need speed. You need to go out there and you need to rev your engine. You need to fire it up and you need to grab a hold of that line between speed and chaos and you need to wrestle it to the ground like a demon cobra. And then when that fear rises up in your belly, you use it and you know that that fear is powerful because it has been there for billions of years and it is good and you use it and you ride it. You ride it like a skeleton horse through the gates of hell and then you win, Ricky. You win and you don't win for anybody else you win for you you know why because the man takes what he wants he takes it all and you're a man aren't you aren't you are we about to get it all because i'm as hard as a diamond in an ice storm right now sure why she's in the movie yeah she's basically non-existent fast and the furious not seen before so this was my first chance seeing any of the fast and the furious series. yeah you're famously not into the fast and furious which is arguably i would say the biggest franchise in Hollywood, yeah, I would well, say bigger than Marvel in its own way. Certainly not in dollars, but maybe in terms of some other way. In pecs, it's the biggest. Yeah, I skipped like the first few and just like didn't seem I would be that interested. And like I kind of with these things, once you get past a certain point, you're not going to just jump in. And I just never had the opportunity to go back and start from the beginning. So I was glad to have that. This movie was delightful. I really enjoyed it. Not this incredible cerebral movie, obviously, but delivers at exactly what it's trying to do. It's simple. It's fun. It's full of energy. The race car scenes were really exhilarating to watch. Definitely looking forward to watching you? I'll definitely watch you know a couple more or at least you know check out the ones that people say are better because i was i was at least compelled by the characters and that's you know the most important thing in a in a series at least you know i, I don't know that every one of these movies is going to be good and i'm sure it gets tired and, and monotonous after a while but the cast of characters was one that i was interested in spending more time with they don't necessarily get monotonous because they've just become absolutely ridiculous five is really good five is when uh, the rock joined the cast Okay. But since five, they've become absolutely out of control. I mean, now you have The Rock is fighting Superman and everyone is juiced out of control, submarines flying over ice caps. And to think back to the movie you saw, what you saw is no longer what Fast and the Furious is for 
for people in 2019. And I don't think it's been like that for a decade. And this one was a credible sports movie, a credible car racing movie. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it's not, you know, your most typical sport, street car racing in the middle of the night, but there's definitely a sport element to it. You know, the main yep. thrust of the movie is people trying to compete in the sport to win money and prizes and affection from the community. How does it then go against Ford and Ferrari? Was Ford and Ferrari a movie you were really excited to see? Would you have been more excited if it would have had Leo and Brad Pitt? I was excited to see it. I'm a big fan of both Matt Damon and Christian Bale in general, and the movie got good reviews. I would say a little disappointed by it. I thought it was solid. It was just, I guess, just like a bit too formulaic. The sports element, like the actual race, really takes a backseat to the main story, which is about the building of the car. So, you know, this is like a, a process movie, but the process doesn't really have that much to, to do with like preparing for the race. It's really more about designing and, and spending money and into designing a better car. So like that kind of makes it like less appealing as a sports movie. One thing is just, you know, Christian Bale is just out of control. Out there is the perfect lap. No mistakes, every gear change, every corner. Perfect. Most people don't even know it's out there, but it is. Do you recall what his last movie was before Ford versus Ferrari? You said out of control Christian Bell. My mind went back to like the fighter and sort of other out of control Christian Bell movies. But no, I can't remember. Yeah. What was it? So the movie right before this was Vice, where he plays a fat vice president. And in this movie, he's just skin and bones less than a year later. I, I don't know how he does this, but it's, it's really astonishing to see. He's not even just like skinny in this movie. He's like, you see his bones popping out of his chest. I thought Ford versus Ferrari was a little bit disappointing. I thought it had some, some really good scenes. One thing I really did not like was the way they just kind of made a contrived villain inside Ford, which I think was just indicative of the fact that they did not establish Ferrari as an, enough of a compelling opponent. At the end of the day, there's really very little stakes in this movie because you're being asked to care about which one of these two corporations will be able to spend more money, build a better car so that they could sell more cars. They were trying to give it this underdog sports story to it, but it's, we're talking about the Ford Motor Corporation. When people talk about that race, the 24-hour Le Mans race that Ford uh, famously beat Ferrari after Ferrari had been dominant, it was much more sort of about like a coming of age of America in a certain way and a coming of age of, you know, the, the motor industry for America is so representative of a certain kind of Americana. And I think that is really why it's considered this iconic moment. That doesn't quite work enough because you don't really want to cheer for the Ford industry. Yeah, you don't really want to cheer against the Italians. They insulted Henry Ford II. So what? You know, what do we care? One thing that really made me laugh unintentionally so in Ford v. Ferrari was so there's this scene right before like the main race is going to start. It's like this and it's this 24 hour race. A lot of it happens at night in like the dark. And right before they're about to start the race, like the, the drivers are like lining up, shoot a gun, and they have to run to their cars to start the race, which is hilarious as a thing to do where like, they're act like they were actually running as if the two second advantage that they're going to get in getting into their car first is going to matter in a 24 hour race where everybody's going to crash a bunch of times. Yeah, but what about Talladega Nights? One of my favorite scenes is the running scene. You don't remember how the yeah. big race ends in Talladega Nights? Their cars like completely wipe out. And then the two of them yeah. are just like, ah, screw it. Let's just make this a running a foot race to finish it off. Yeah, I no, thought that was a very iconic scene for our racing bracket. If only someone could have come in on a horse, they could have finished <laughs> a triathlon of the, running, of the running movies. Apparently the movie was supposed to star Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. I thought, I thought that was just Once Upon a Time in Hollywood joke. I was thinking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood while watching this because they somewhat cover, I think they cover like a somewhat similar era. And also they have that the two leading icons of contemporary Hollywood are just walking around in sunglasses being pretty cool. 
Once Upon a Time is a much more stylistic movie, though. In terms of of this matchup, you know, I I would have wouldn't have expected this before I saw them, but I'm gonna I would put Fast and the Furious forward into the next round. I think I you know it certainly as a sports movie, I think it it held its own more than either of the other two. Do you appreciate the fact that we had an F and F go against an FVF, and you voted for the and over the V? Well, you know, ampersands are my jam. There you go. Ampersand for the win. Ford and Ferrari, we never knew you. One Number one seed goes down to the play-in. We haven't seen that happen very often. Britney runs a marathon, the other 2019 movie that came out, against Farlap. If you would have asked of what is a Farlap, would you have known the answer? I would have guessed that it's like a lap that is located not close. I always thought the names of horses are completely random, right? If you were forced to participate in either motor horse as a jockey i suppose or a trainer or running which of these three sports is your natural gem well certainly running over the other two because it's something that i've done you would die if you did professional racing we all would yeah i mean i could drive i would i wouldn't win the race i could drive slowly i guess but i'd probably get hit by somebody else in all the other race car driving movies people are dying all the time frankly the fact that so few people die in fast and the furious is uh to its credit for us running britney farlap horse uh, tell yeah. us what you like about each one and who's your winner. What I would say about Farlap is I wasn't very interested in it for the same reasons I'm not interested in horse racing as a sport in general, which is that the horse is just like way too front and center. Something about the athlete in horse racing is a horse that just makes me not at all interested in it. You could say the same thing about car racing, which I'm also not interested in, where like the car is really what's moving fast as opposed to the driver, but it just, it feels more in horse racing, the famous entities are the horses, not the jockeys and there's just like something very jockeys are just like stunted men shot the main idea of this movie is just like show these horses are cogs in a system that are designed to just like maximize profit for a lot of different people there's just like this ongoing line where somebody keeps saying he's just a horse and like the the person who actually cares about the horse keep, like responds back he's not just a horse because like to him he matters because he's like his pet slash roommate whatever the, the, the relationship is can you have a few words with me about the tragedy Leave me alone. Did you think he was poisoned? What does it matter? He's dead. Well, why is it, do you think, that there's been this incredible reaction to Farlap's death? After all, he was just a horse. He wasn't just a horse. He was the best. For me, that's just like kind of how I feel, where it's just like, it's just a horse, and like, I don't really care about this sport, and that just kind of left me not that interested or in this movie. Not the Jewish owner in Farlap. He's a good character, and he's complicated. You know, you sort yeah. of, you despise him, you admire him, you feel bad for him. Yeah, for he, sure. Farlap is easily better than Seabiscuit and Secretariat. I mean, those movies are trash. How about Britney Runs? I watched this last night with my wife, and we both really liked it. I thought it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought Jillian Bell is fantastic. I found it to be very moving. You changing your life and wanting to run this marathon was never about your weight. It was about you taking responsibility for yourself. You're new. You gotta stop being mean. Some people actually want good things for you. If someone wants to support you, there's like a marathon sequence at the end where she finally gets her chance to run the marathon and i was very moved by that i like i was like almost like choking up watching her actually doing it i thought the movie does like a really great job of like capturing that like underdog feeling within an individual and like as we talked about before racing this is like uh running is like a very individualized sport even though it can be done with other people and she does do it with other people but you really 
spend a lot of time in her own headspace. And you see the way in which taking up running was a, a vehicle for change in her life. It almost made me like think like, oh, I should start training for a marathon. Obviously, it's not going to happen. But I at least thought about it, which is, you know, that's the first step. I found her Indian. I wasn't quite sure Pakistani. I found him really annoying. His he character, his line delivery... He's just like, I'm living off rich people's. <laughs> I'll say that like that whole like subplot of like them like squatting in the, in the uh, rich people's house and like the, the relationship between the two of them, I thought was like kind of hackneyed and didn't really work for me. If you separate that from the sports element of it, which is just the start of the movie of her like realizing that she's unhealthy and she needs to lose weight and she's going to take up running and like she's going to kind of use that as a way to like get a lot of things in her life going, her relationships with people or her alcoholism or her career. And I thought that was just like really well conveyed. And I really enjoyed what they did with that. As a runner, I've also <laughs> run the New York City Marathon. Of The biggest part of training for a marathon are those long weekend runs. I mean, most people do them on the weekend because who else, when do else do you have time? And I didn't think the movie captures enough so much of sort of the extended training that goes into eventually getting to the marathon line, what, you know, Bart was saying before, they show a lot of her training, maybe because it's more approachable for people as doing sprints or like lifting weights in a gym. What does it mean for her to have all this alone time to spend three or four hours running? I don't know where you run in New York City there. A lot of the challenge preparing for a marathon is a lot of solo time forces you to reflect upon yourself. And I think it could have worked very well with what this movie was about. I agree because, you know, a lot of the movie is about her, her solitude and how she's even more and more as she takes this up, like marginalizing all the people in her life and not letting them in and not taking help where she can find it and like kind of like a need to do everything by herself, which is seems consistent to me with like the type of development that a person would go through when they spend that amount of time by themselves, early mornings, late nights. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say is the New York City Marathon, for people listening to this who are in New York and maybe haven't experienced it, haven't even gone out, it is one of the most exciting marathons to participate in, uh, whether as a viewer or as a runner. Um, there's just numerous points when you're coming down onto First Avenue off the bridge, coming down by the park right by the end, when you're going through Brooklyn, whether through Bar Park with all the sort of ultra-Orthodox Jews who are ignoring you, or you go through the hipster neighborhoods and everyone's going crazy. It's really exciting, and I kind of admire the, the movie for not dwelling on that. As Bart was saying earlier, it's more about what gets you to the start line than about the race itself. I was surprised they didn't sort of take, take advantage of that a bit more and to really show, I think it's the most glorious in a big capital G way of big city races. Brittany going head-to-head -head against Fast and the Furious. Britney is like was like overall more enjoyable and I think brought more to the table as like a human story. I'm going to give the nod to it. I would not have expected Britney runs a marathon to have made to made the bracket 64 movie bracket, but here we are. I thought it was I thought it was here really are. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was moving and inspirational and entertaining and funny. Of clean up the the loser bracket and see because we have a few more spots on the line here. The Barkley Marathon documentary going up against The Fast and the Furious. I think you've seen both of them, so I'll, I'll leave it. I have seen both. Catch clips of the Barkley Marathon on YouTube, but sit down and if you want a good movie experience, watch Fast and the Furious. So Fast and the Furious is gonna jump in and get a seat in the 64 movie bracket as well. Thus rendering my very carefully thought out decision in the last matchup completely moot. We have Chariots of Fire, Britney Runs a Marathon, Fast and the Furious emerging from the left side of the bracket. We'll turn to Will and see who else is coming out from the racing tournament. I got the horse. 
Will, so glad you could join us. Where have you been this whole time? I've been keeping quiet, just trying to not like interrupt the real experts here. Let's talk yeah. racing movies. We save the real racing for you. None of that foot races. We have None old of school motor race and horse race. Real man ride on the back of another thing. So we have four motor racing movies. We have four horse racing movies. Rev up your engines, Will. We're going with a <sighs> documentary face-off. Number one ranked Senna, which came out in 2010, versus number four TT3D, Closer to the Edge. Senna was directed by Asif Kapade, who is a British director of three acclaimed docs, one on Amy Winehouse, one, of course, on Senna, and then the one that came out this year on Maradona, which we may actually have to somehow throw back into our tournament because the reviews are really great on it. This one is of the great Brazilian F1 driver from the late 1980s, Ayrton Senna. He's most famous, of course, for his death. Ayrton has a small problem. He thinks that he can't kill himself. And I think that's very dangerous. We are competing to win. And if you no longer go for a gap, you're no longer a racing driver. Pure driving. Real racing. That makes me happy. He was considered one of the greatest F1 and probably the greatest drivers of all time, and then he died in a horrible accident in 1994. The other key element to know in Senna is that only uses original footage. It's going up against TT3D. It's about the 2010 motorcycle race that they do on the Isle of Man, which is one of the most dangerous races in the world. It's completely crazy. I think they say 250 people have died over the last 100 years racing on the course. The movie was shot in 3D. It's completely bonkers. I think as a whole, these are all much stronger than the horse racing movies. Bashing of the horses will be the yeah, theme of this pod. That is going to be a, the big theme of this podcast. We hate horses. Horse racing movies are made for children, are made as like family movies. As a result, they don't really put much effort into the story beyond, oh, look at this cool horse. Isn't it pretty? Something about animals that suggested mm-hmm. of, a, of a children's quality. While yeah. cars, you're right, cars are like a grown man's game. Like, you know, kids don't yeah, drive cars. Kids can't drive cars. Kids aren't as into cars and motorcycles as teenagers and adults. Unless Ford they're v Ferrari cars. is like the dad movie of the year. Which of these two motor movies? Senna is the much more emotional journey, but TT3D is everything you want out of a motocross racing movie. I didn't really know what I wanted out of a motocross racing movie until I started watching these. Did you know anything of either movie? Meaning they're both documentaries. They're both based on a true life story. Had you ever heard of Eitan Senna, the Brazilian F1 racer from the 80s? Had you ever heard of the Isle of Man, let alone that there's a motorcycle race on the Isle of Man? I'd never heard of these movies, much less the subject matter of these movies. Senna was considered a phenomenal movie when it came out. I mean, it got rave reviews. It was the first of the three documentaries that the director has made. How well, old let me would put I have this been way. when Senna came out? Probably not yet born. It came out in 2010. Mm. Well, I was, I was 13. I wasn't watching documentaries because when I was in middle school. you weren't into car movies because you weren't yet an yep. adult. Exactly. Because I couldn't drive cars. I was discussing with Bart and Av that the theme of racing movies, including foot races, car races, horse races, is death mm-hmm. from the marathon yeah. famously the race that the original greek runner died after giving the message to athens that the persians were defeated in almost every one of the movies on this side of the bracket death is involved obviously mm-hmm. senna is defined by a death yeah i mean tt3d just has like a montage of people crashing in horrible ways he's gone into the wall it's uh, it's not looking good i came up on the circuit you know, it just looks like a bomb's exploded when out goes on here. The, the wall and all the bales were on fire. You know, guys laid there in the track, his bikes but split in pieces like it's, you know, it's horrendous. For me, TT3D just became a completely bonkers experience. Yeah. When these racers wiped out, 
you thought they were dying horribly. Like they were on fire. Their bodies were like mm-hmm. thrown over the side of the, of the cliff. And then they somehow survived and they were like in their hospital beds being like, bro, jolly, blah, 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 blah. can't wait to go back to the race rock again. Like they all have heavy, heavy <laughs> Scottish accents. Yeah, that's the, the best part of the movie. Yeah. And then the family in New Zealand whose, whose husband and father died, they're all just being like, yep, I'm going to train my kids to be motorcycle drivers because yep, they're dead. That's so nonchalant. <laughs> You can't love the death, you can't love the loss, but you can't love the, the excitement and the thrill without knowing that that's part of it. They don't pause for a moment. The race just continues on after the drivers die. Which one of these gets your vote? So I'm going to go with GT3D. They're probably the two best movies on the side of the bracket, though. I think the problem with Sen, and I agree with your choice, Will, is ultimately Sen is too much of a homage. It's not critical enough. They just paint it yeah. in all positive colors. And therefore, I think it's a really, really well-made movie, probably a better-made movie than TT3D, but it isn't as, it doesn't grab you by the gut as much. Let's jump to our non-documentary motor challenge. We have number two, Rush, which came out in 2013, versus number four, Grand Prix, which came out in 1966, way beforehand. Rush is, again, set in the world of F1. It's a rivalry between two real-life drivers, James Hunt and Nikki Lada, in the late 1970s. It's got stars everywhere. Ron Howard directs. Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Brohl go head-to-head before they did so in the Marvel Universe. Hans Zimmer composes the music. I think a lot of people almost die in the movie, including an amazing scene with Daniel Brohl, where it's just red on red on red, like fire, and he's driving a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a beautiful scene. The movie's beautiful. And Grand Prix which also has an all-star cast. John Frankenheimer directed. James Garner, Marie Saint, the Japanese acting legend. He's the guy in all the classic Japanese movies you've always heard of. Uh, I think his name is Toshiro Mifune. And it was really known for its groundbreaking cinematography. Half of the movie is set in the cockpit of a car. Again, it's an F1 story set in the late 60s. So about a decade apart. And there's, again, a lot of death. In Grand Prix. I was much more invested in the in the story of Rush and I also just found Rush to be it was more than just like a sports movie. I think the acting in both movies really stands out. Chris Hemsworth obviously does a great job in Rush. Daniel Brawl was awesome. He's incredible. Um, I think he's phenomenal. really good in Rush. He's a different character than he is in his other movies. He's set up as like the bad guy but he's not really the bad guy in Rush. He's just conflicted and a perfectionist. Yeah exactly. You're relentless. Thank you. I'm not sure that was meant as a compliment. When do you stop testing? Next week? Oh, what are you, nuts? I didn't just win the biggest thing in my life so I could get right back to work. Why? You have to. To prove to all the people who will always say you just won it because... Because of what? Because of your accident. Snicky, is that other people or is that you? I won. Okay, and the all-important day when it came down to it, we raced on equal terms, equally good cars. And I put my life on the line and I saw it through. And you call that winning? Yes. The risks were totally unacceptable. We're prepared to die. To me, that's losing. Yes, I was. I admit it. I, I was prepared to die to beat you that day. And that's the effect you have on me. I, you'd pushed me that far, and it felt great. You know, in hospital, the toughest part of my treatment was the vacuum. Pumping the shit out of my lungs. It was hell. And while doing it, I was watching television. You winning all my points. Your points. That bastard hunter would say, I hate that guy. And then one day the doctor came and said, Mr. Lauder, may I offer a piece of advice? Stop thinking of it as a curse to have been given an enemy in life. It can be a blessing too. 
A wise man gets smoke from his enemies than a fool from his friends. One thing I was really struck by with Grand Prix, and I don't know if you were, I'm, I'm not an F1 guy. I don't know anything about it. The cars in the 60s that they're driving in Grand Prix, don't they look like go-karts? They're so small. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> People keep on getting into these horrible accidents. I was like, well, of course, you're driving like a little go-kart. Yeah, through it's the like streets. we're playing Mario Kart here. Yeah. I think what I like about Grand Prix and its interaction with death is that in the very end, and we won't tell you which of the actors wins, but you can guess it's the most famous actor, the American guy. In the very end of Grand Prix, they find out that one of the lead drivers died. And so everyone is like celebrating. And then all of a sudden the announcer goes, the one driver died. And for a second, everyone looks solemn. And then they go right back to celebrating as if they couldn't care less. It's so bizarre. And to me, it sort of sums up the role of death in these driving movies, which is, yep, it just happens. Let's go back to driving more motorcycles. I'd see an accident like that. And feel so weak inside that I wanted to quit. Stop the car and walk away. I could hardly make myself go past it, but I'm older now. When I see something really horrible, I put my foot down, hard, because I know that everyone else is lifting his. What a terrible way to win. No, there is no terrible way to win. There is only winning. The way in which they interact with death is fascinating. And even if you bring like Talladega Nights, into the conversation since that's the only driving movie you did not get to comment on do you have you seen talladega nights i have seen talladega nights yeah would you put it yeah, above any um, of these four racing movies i would not who's gonna be your winner rush or grand prix rush just left a much bigger impact on me in the next round how about rush versus tt3d i think i would go tt3d over rush but very very go. narrow margin tt3d was just more fun would you watch um, it again in 3D if you could? Because it was shot in 3D. It's meant to be. Oh, yeah. In 3D. Yeah, I wish I could have seen it in 3D. I saw it on a train going probably as fast as the motorcycles, but not the same experience at all. Mm. Did I mean, not crash. No, no, no one crashed on my watching of the. Of the but if, if someone had crashed while watching TT3D, I would like to think I would have reacted like the motorcycle drivers. Remember, there's the one driver, the guy who's kind of like tall and a little bit antisocial, and he wins all the races. Spoiler one guy in TT3D in 2010 just like blows up the competition, even as everyone else is dying, and he just wins all the races. And then what happens in like the final scene of the movie? They're like, oh yeah, that guy was really good, completely wiped out, and now his leg is like full of steel poles. But don't worry, he'll come back a year later. <laughs> Let's jump down to the horses then, right? Had you ever seen a horse movie before this bracket? I'd seen Seabiscuit and Secretariat. Let's start with Seabiscuit and Secretariat then, just to kind of start in your familiar territory. So that's going to be our number two versus our number three. Seabiscuit came out in 2003. Secretariat came out in 2010. The movies are always compared to each other. Seabiscuit was a horse in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. Secretariat was a much more, more accomplished horse, I guess, in the 1970s. Seabiscuit has Tobey Maguire, Jeff Bridges, Chris Cooper, Elizabeth Banks, even William H. Macy shows up. What the hell were you thinking? He fouled me. What am I supposed to do? Let him get away with that? Well, yeah, when he's 40 to 1. He almost put me in the rail. Well, did he? He fouled me! Son, what are you so mad at? Secretariat has Diana Lane and John Malkovich playing the Chris Cooper trainer role, meaning the, the gruff trainer, uh, which every horse movie needs. I... Only saw Seabiscuit. I saw it. I disliked it so much. I had heard that it was better than Secretariat. So I decided I wasn't even going to watch the Disney movie, which is Secretariat. <laughs> What's your take? And which one of these movies has more deaths? Seabiscuit has more deaths, right? Yeah. Jeff Bridges' son. Yeah. 
He goes out in a yeah. bank, but it's in a car. So I don't know if it counts as a horse mm. death. Seabiscuit <laughs> is bad because of the editing. The first 40 minutes of Seabiscuit, yeah. there's no horse. And the movie has this like mm -hmm. choppy editing style that, yeah, it's like Bohemian Rhapsody. It's just really annoying. I think I liked both these movies as kids, but all I really remembered was like the horse racing scenes. And beyond the horse racing scenes, neither movie really has anything to offer. I think Seabiscuit has the better horse racing scenes. For that I, reason alone, I'm going to have to go with Seabiscuit. I've never liked Tobey Maguire in movies. I don't me know, neither. He's, he's, yeah, he's always just struck me as... He seems like such an asshole. Yeah, he always seems, seems very arrogant. Like his smile either looks like he's sick and he should be playing a zombie. He was yeah. in that movie's world made, but not because of him. So he is good in spite of him. Yeah, exactly. He's going to steer Seabiscuit forward against, let's see, number one, National Velvet, a movie from 1944 against Black Stallion, a movie from, again, 30 years later in 1979. That National Velvet is known as the first movie of Elizabeth Taylor before she went on to marry eight husbands. She was 14 at the time. She hooked up in the movie, though, with the real star of the movie, who was Mickey Rooney. We'll get to him in a second. Uh, mm. They actually did hook up while making the movie. He was, I think, seven years older than her, which was inappropriate. Mm. And it's going up against Black Stallion, which is based on the classic kids' book about a kid befriending a wild stallion when both of them are marooned on an island. It's not to be confused with a 90s movie called Black Beauty. Sometimes people make that mistake. Uh, Black Stallion, Black Beauty. Me included. Very different movies. Black Stallion. I don't know if you've seen both of them, but... Black Stallion, yeah. I think, is the, is the much better one. What I know about Black Stallion is that it was originally supposed to be directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And he, though, was stuck making another movie that came out in 1979 called Apocalypse Now. And so he couldn't direct Black Stallion, which he really wanted to direct. So he handed it off to a friend of his from film school called Carol Ballard, who was his first movie. He had been the second director on Star Wars. So Ballard takes over. He films the movie. And he gets uh, Coppola's father to produce it and to compose the music for it. The thing that's fun that links both movies together, besides them both being classics in their own way, is that both of them star Mickey Rooney. Now, Will, had you ever heard of Mickey Rooney before watching these two movies? Yes, but I thought that it was the same person as Mickey Rourke. Exactly. Okay, so <laughs> people of our generation might know Mickey Rooney is for two things. He was kind of in the news for being abused as a 90-year-old man by, I think, his like ninth wife or his eighth wife. And he became oh, I didn't sort of well known about for that. that. Wow. And then when he died, Mickey Rourke got confused as Mickey Rooney by certain people of our generation. There were even obituaries that went out being like, Star of the Wrestler dies. And people were being like, well, yeah. he looked like he was near death or something. Uh, but the weird thing is, you know who gave the eulogy at Mickey Rooney's funeral in Hollywood? Who? Mickey Rourke. Oh, really? Yeah. So I didn't do enough Elizabeth research Taylor. because my interest in the Mickey versus Mickey face-off only goes so deep. But apparently they became good friends at some point. And I think it's because Mickey Rooney um, is in the Hall of Fame of classic Hollywood figures that neither Will or I care about. Basically, it's Jerry Lewis and Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney is considered mm. one of the greatest actors in Hollywood. I mean, he's considered on the Mount Rushmore of like famous Hollywood figures. 
And I think Mickey Rourke was mentored by him at some point. I'm guessing so because uh, you know Rourke had a long has had a long career as well. So Rooney versus Rourke is not the face-off here. The face-off though is Rooney versus Rooney. Mickey Rooney mm-hmm. is the jockey trainer in National Velvet, and he is the jockey trainer in Black Stallion. He actually plays the same role in both movies. The difference is that in Black Stallion he's like an old man. Well, maybe he's yours. You know, I spent all last night trying to catch this wild horse here. Huh? All night I spent. And in National Velvet, he is having sex with Elizabeth Taylor, which she's uh, 14. Not on screen, off screen. National Velvet, we should say, is about a little girl in England played by Elizabeth Taylor who loves horses and gets Mickey Rooney to get her to go on a horse, which then again does this incredibly death-defying race. Could the pie win the Grand National? Velvet Brown, who do you think you are? I'm the owner of the pie. And does that give you leave to go poking your head out amongst the stars, believing you could take the richest, grandest prize a horse ever won? How would you describe the race at National Velvet? I would describe it as on horses. It's this real-life <laughs> horse race where you, it's a steeplechase. So the horses have to jump over these really, really tall steeples, uh, these really, really tall hedges. And some of the horses don't make it. And there's been years, apparently, where like horses have died, horses have landed on their riders, people have been paralyzed. Which do you like yeah. more, National Velvet or Black Stallion? National Velvet just feels like a very typical family movie. It feels very saccharine to me. There's one character, a very, very small character, that's my hint, in National Velvet that stands out. Can mm. you guess who I'm thinking about? And it's not Mickey Rooney. I think Mickey Rooney is like 440 <sighs> The brother, the little boy. The brother? The little boy who loves bugs. He walks around with bugs in his oh. <laughs> Isn't he weird? There's this crazy scene where like <laughs> Mickey Rooney character is telling the little boy reading a story about how a boy and a horse are marooned on an island apparently one day the ship went down and the horse swam off to an island now there wasn't anything to eat on the island so the poor frightened horse ran up and down the seashore gazing out at the sea is mickey rooney reading him the book black stallion in national Velvet? Yeah. and then and then like the little boy says and what happens to them and mickey rooney's character goes oh they get saved by a boat did he die no he Yes, he did. I know he did. He died. He died on that island. I know. How do you know? I was there. You weren't. You weren't born. I was born. I was born. That's a story, Donald. You weren't born. You were a star. I wasn't a star. I was born and I was there and that horse died. He died on that solid place and he lay down and his eyes was dead and he died. I know he did. He died. He died. He died. <laughs> Die, die, die. And it's this weird scene that that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, like, they don't it doesn't really go anywhere. do anything with it. That little boy is bizarre. Oh, none of his lines like fit with the rest of the movie. Like he's in a horror movie or of some sort. And then the rest of everyone is like Wizard of Oz or something. That boy go on to do anything? I don't know. I, I Wikipedia'd him. Apparently, he was known as like a really cute kid in uh, four. Butch Jenkins. Uh, he was regarded as a scene stealer and was notable among the studio's child stars for not being conventionally cute. His teeth are a little a little too crooked, though. I thought he steals the movie. The other thing that's weird about Nash Revolve, uh-huh. I think, yeah. He, he retired from acting at the age of 11 after he developed a stutter. Hollywood history was stolen. There's uh-huh. something a little weird, like psychosexual about Elizabeth Taylor's obsession with horses. Like she lies in bed and like, pretends to be riding a horse while her sisters are all dreaming of boys and she constantly sort of wants to like lay with the horse and be next to the horse and yeah, this girl wants to fuck a horse 
there's something there. I'm surprised there hasn't been, there probably has been a horse movie with that theme. Well, are we I'm thinking all, of the same thing? Are we both thinking of Lobster? <laughs> That's a little bit. No, no uh, something else. Well, the movie I'm thinking of, a spoiler that they want to fuck the horse. <laughs> so I'm not going to say it. Know what you're talking about, but the name escapes me. There's also some sort of men's interest in horses and lobster, so which is a movie I believe That's that true. we both really yeah. like, and that actually kind yeah. of that kind of brought us together in some case to make this podcast. I interrupted you. You were telling me how National Velvet. You feel like you're stuck in the 1940s, except for that weird. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I think the really misogynistic dad kind of played as comedy. I think Black Stallion is the best of the horse movies. I think it's a very great movie, and then once it gets the actual horse racing part then I just don't care. Did your eyes tear up at any point in Black Stallion? No, not really. Do you cry in movies? Well, <laughs> we never discussed this. I usually, I usually do, but only if... <laughs> I don't know. I only cry at like really weird points. I cry at Jojo Rabbit. I cry from conventionally competitive scenes, which means like mm-hmm. sports movies kind of get me, particularly racing movies and particularly horse racing movies. I don't like most really? of the horse racing movies, but I'll admit when like Seabiscuit is doing his final, you know, heroic turn around the track, Black Stallion just gets me. I think Black Stallion is beautiful. The music it is beautiful. And there's a death in Black Stallion, which is key to the plot. The guy that was on the boat, right? Yeah, but which guy? The Remember, like the movie's basically about a kid and his horse. Kid yeah. in the beginning is with his dad on a boat and his dad yeah. tells him the story of Alexander the Great's horse. So Alexander walked out into the big arena and standing in the middle of the arena was Bucephalus. He was big and he was strong. And he was pawing the ground. And there was fire in his eyes. And there was smoke coming out of his nose. And he went... And Alexander walked up. And then quick as a cat, he jumped up on his back and he grabbed hold of that long black mane, and boom, boom, and away they went, just like lightning. And they jumped right over the crowd, all the way over the stand, and went riding out over the hill. Everybody said, Smoke coming out of his nose. And his dad is, I'll always be there for you, you know, you're my son. Then his dad dies, well, and then the horse shows crashes. up. Yeah, and so yeah. the horse is almost like is, is a substitute for his dad in many ways. You know, the horse protects him from dangerous animals. The horse sort of raises him. The horse makes him into a man himself. Yeah, he learns to speak horse. You know, yeah. not everyone has to do what Elizabeth Taylor wanted to do in National That's Ball. true. <laughs> it sounds like you're picking Black Stallion, meaning it's going to go head-to-head with Seabiscuit. Yeah, and I'm going to have the Black Stallion over Seabiscuit as well. So we have Black Stallion going up against TT3D. I think I would go TT3D in that case. Yeah. You seem to be all over the motor, so it. it ha- I, yeah. I guess the best. <laughs> I'm all over the motor. So you're like the Elizabeth Taylor of, of engines. Um, I mean, <laughs> yes, I really just want to fuck a fuck a go kart. <laughs> an F1 car from the 60s, man. I'm telling you, watch Grand Prix just for like the first few scenes, and you're just like, those are not actually what F1 cars were then. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, all I know about driving in the 60s is Ford versus Ferrari, and they're not driving F1 cars. So what do mm-hmm. I know? The winner of the racing on the right side of the bracket is TT3D. That means it's going to go up against the winner on the left side, which was Chariots of Fire. I have seen both. Have you Mm. seen Chariots of Fire? I have not seen Chariots of Fire. Okay, so I'm going to make it easy for our listeners. Chariots of Fire is going to beat TT3D. Both of them are British classics, and yet 
Chariots of Fire, it's it's in my top ten movies, um, favorite movies ever, uh, which obviously makes me very oh, biased. Wow. But but Chariots of Fire has iconic music. I mean, you know the music, Running on the Beaches. It has oh, iconic. Yeah, I know the song. It has a tremendous script. It has really good characters, dynamic characters, contrasting characters. TT3D is a great unconventional number two, and the British are dominating this sport. In the losers bracket, we have Rush, which lost to TT3D in the driving mm -hmm. movie, and we have Seabiscuit, which lost to Black Stallion. So it's going to be Rush against Seabiscuit. I think we have an no, easy Rush win. for sure. Oh, for sure, please. And let's not spend any more time on that than necessary. No. The issue, though, oh we have one last place in our bracket which is going to go between Seabiscuit, that loser is still alive, and it's going to be going against The Barkley Marathon, which is a movie that mm. I discussed at length with Av and Bart earlier in the episode. And I'm just going to make it easy for you, Will, and say Barkley Marathon gets our last spot. So to summarize, the number one is Chariots of Fire. The others, though, making the 64 movie tournament include TT3D, Rush, Black Stallion, The Barkley Marathon, and Britney Runs a Marathon. Britney Those, Runs a Marathon? Yeah, Alv really liked uh, Britney Runs a Marathon. Oh, sorry. Really? And, also, and also Fast and the Furious. Yes, also oh. Fast and the Furious. Sorry. <laughs> okay. This was the first one. Oh, my one God. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is a, what a plot twist. You'll have to jump on him when we record our next episode about Ford v. Ferrari because uh, it went down fast, but not wow. fast as in like driving fast, as in it went down slow. For a fast driving movie. Uh, <laughs> anything else that you feel watching these movies? Did the, was the feeling of death on your mind? I know you like horror movies. Yeah, I mean, the feeling of death is always in my mind. Great to have you back at work and uh, glad to have escaped Disney World. Sloughing off in Disneyland, yeah, for sure. Okay, catch you soon. All right, see ya. All the best. Bye. The turns, their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down, the fans get up, and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down, and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup, but he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going the distance. He's going for speed She's all alone All alone in a time of need Because he's racing and pacing And plotting the course He's fighting and riding and riding on his horse He's going the distance It is Ryan here and I have a question for you What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.